1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Here ends the New Testament reading. We've prayed in that song, so please have a seat. And turn in the Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. That's on page 952. As we look at the word of the cross. Last week we were looking very briefly at being united in Christ from earlier in this chapter. But what if there are difficulties between Christians in a church. How should they be handled? We'll come to an extreme case later on in 1 Corinthians. But often, as at Corinth, they're a result of our inflated egos. Here's some examples I came across before coming to Newcastle. A gifted musician decides to boycott a church service because they haven't been asked to be involved in it. Someone refuses to help with Holiday Sunday School because they were turned down from the regular team. A member wants to leave his wife for another woman because God has, quotes, told him to do so. Now, is it just a matter of saying to them, look, it isn't godly behave better. In other words, you command people to do the right thing. Well, when Paul faced such problems, 
He decided on an approach which would be far more profound and lasting. He says, let me take you not only to a command, but also to a cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. And as we stand there together, let's consider the one who created you. Writhing in total agony. Hands and feet hammered to a piece of wood. And just take time to think about what really matters. And that's what we find Paul doing here in 1 Corinthians. It's all about the cross of Christ. So first, the message of the cross of Christ. Look at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. And the word for links this back to verse 17. In verse 17, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power, but with the word of the cross. Paul's telling us what he refuses to do and what he must do. He refuses to engage with wisdom of words. In other words, a style of speaking designed to wow the audience. Instead, he's going to speak about something which to his hearers is not only meaningless, but also sick-making. He's going to give a word about a cross. To try and win people with a word about something so gross was to the world foolishness in the extreme. But he does it anyway. Why? Well, because verse 17 says, this message of the cross is the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. What's more, it's clear that Paul didn't prioritize a doing ministry like baptizing people, but rather a teaching ministry, preaching a message about a cross. He can hardly remember who he's baptized, but preaching. That's so very, very important. Why? Because the power lies in the substance of the message and not in the symbolism of the sign, such as baptism. And how does this power which lives in the message of a crucified Christ show itself? Is it by people becoming healthier and wealthier, as some would say? No, the message has far greater power than that. It has power to save, to rescue from sin. It's what the whole Bible teaches, as we heard in Isaiah chapter 29. It's nothing new. God has always operated on this principle that he will destroy all human claims to wisdom and power. Why? Well, just think. 
What's the original sin? What drew Eve to reach for the forbidden fruit? It was the promised lie of the serpent that you'll be like God. So in a word, pride. Placing ourselves at the center of the universe. And we're so self-centered, aren't we, really? Look, if I were to show you an old school photo of your class, who would you look for first? Pride makes us think of ourselves as better than we are and everyone else worse than they really are. And we'll find ways of making sure that we're above others. Even I've got a better Bible translation than you. Pride, even amongst Christians, lies at the root of the problems at Corinth and many churches today. But God says that in the most important thing of all, the matter of your eternal salvation, you contribute nothing except your sin. You come to me, says God, on my terms, or you don't come at all. And the terms on which you come to me are precisely the terms on which I came to you in the person of my son, Jesus. Weakness and powerlessness on a cross. Nothing grand, no impressive demonstration of divine strength as you'd understand it. Nothing but an ugly spectacle. And yet that's where I've provided the means whereby all your filthy consciences can be cleansed and you can have a fresh start by my son taking your punishment in your place. Who but God could have thought that up? No human being would have dreamt of this being the way we get right with God. But it's the only way. If you don't yet know God, it's because you haven't accepted the message of the cross and of his resurrection. But it's also a message which divides. The only division which God allows and which can't be avoided is that caused by the gospel between those who haven't believed and are perishing and those who have believed and are being saved. Ultimately, all other divides whereby we elevate ourselves and put others down are seen to be just pathetic. Corinth had its divisions Jew versus Greek, Roman versus barbarian, slave versus free. And we have ours, don't we? Geordies versus Maccams, rich versus poor, north versus south, youth versus everybody else. But in the light of eternity, what do they matter? In a billion years' time, if you're in heaven or in hell, what will it matter that you've got good qualifications or none? Or which division your football team are going to be in? 
You can be poor and be saved, or you can be rich and going to hell. And what is it that splits humanity right down the middle? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. There are those who look to the cross and they see hope and eternal life. And yet others who just see nothing but contempt. It's also a message which frustrates. Look at verses 20 to 25. Paul begins with some questions. Verse 20. Where's the wise man? In other words, where's the man whose view of the world leads you to the cross? Does communism or capitalism lead you to the cross? Does money and shopping? Where's the scholar, he says, meaning the expert in morality? Does morality lead you to the cross? If you feel you're moral, you feel morally superior, which will never lead you to God, as you never feel you'll have a need for him. It's often the morally respectable person who resists trusting in Christ. And what about the philosopher? In other words, the debater with great speaking skills. Do they lead you to the cross? No. The wisdom of this world is a wisdom which effectively cuts God out of the picture. But it pleased God through the foolishness of what's preached to save those who believe. It's a message of a kind God, a humble God, a God who stoops down to save the street children, the intellectuals, the refugees, the wealthy, those with great money worries, the respectable and the very ordinary. But he'll only save or rescue them as they believe in the message of the cross. So everyone's on the same level. So no one can boast, verse 29. The six-year-old who's put her trust in Jesus is on the same level as the 60-year-old professor who's put his trust in Jesus. Nothing equalizes in the same way the Christian message does. But what is it that some people are looking for in order to believe? What kind of message are they happy to accept and if which you adopt will supposedly get people to church? Well, they're the two things God refuses to give. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, the Jews demand miraculous signs. Yes, Jesus will believe. Just give us a miracle or two. And what did he do? He refused. Why? Because he did do miracles. Yes, but never to order. Never do you see a miracle performed with the express purpose of eliciting faith. God is God. 
And he won't be treated like some performing genie. What would happen, you see, the next day when you're feeling down, and again the next day, and feeling a need of a bit of a boost for your faith? He'd have to do it again, and then again, and again. And then it's we, and not God, who occupy the center of the world, which can lead to you never being content in your Christian faith as you're always looking for the next spiritual high. And each time that happens, we move just a little further away from the cross of Christ. Then there are the Greeks or the non-Jews. What are they looking for? Wisdom. Now, this isn't the same as knowledge. God wants us to use our minds No, Greek wisdom was concerned with show. It wasn't so much what was said, but how you said it that mattered. They wanted performances from their teachers, clever wit, etc., etc. In a word, it was style. And what age do we live in today? The age of celebrity, which is all about style. And what is it that some of us are looking for in our gospel preachers today? Isn't it sometimes pretty much the same thing? The slick performance? The one who can make us laugh and send us home feeling better about ourselves? But where's the cross? The medium of the glossy and the impressive is at odds with the message of the cross. Because the cross isn't very pleasant. So what can happen? Well, it can be thought that the message has to be changed. So that the focus isn't humbly repenting of our sins and surrendering our lives to Jesus. But on becoming rich, powerful, and healthy. Sure, the word Jesus may be used. But he's not the Jesus of the cross. The Bible might be referred to, but it's not properly interpreted, which has its focus as the cross. What does Paul say in verse 23? But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. In other words, our message is a complete switch off to those who are locked into this image conscious, self driven age. But to those whom God has called, verse 24, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Not what we'd normally think of as power and wisdom. Verse 25. No, it's far superior than that. When Paul speaks of God's foolishness or his weakness being stronger than man's strength, He's not using those terms in an absolute sense. There's no real weakness in God. Rather, he's saying, even if God did have weakness, it would still be a billion times stronger than ours. And Paul here is referring to Proverbs chapter 8 from the Old Testament, where God's wisdom, which made the universe, is spoken of as a person. And that person is Jesus. God the Son, the one who made the heavens and the earth. 
and the one who dies on a cross in our place. Why? To bring us to God by the only way possible. So verse 30, he's our wisdom, our righteousness or our in the rightness with God, our sanctification or our holiness and our redemption. Jesus has canceled the record of our debts, of our disobedience to God, and nailed it to the cross. So you see, Jesus is all we need. It's in him we can boast, and not ourselves. So how does God give Paul's message, his divine stamp of approval here? Is it by impressive supernatural events? Well, not in the way some would have it. What is supernatural here is the sorts of people who are saved or rescued. So secondly, the converts of the cross, verses 26 to 31. What sorts of people are saved by the message of the cross? Well, says Paul, not many were wise by the world standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth or rich. You know, we often want to reverse what Paul says, don't we? And claim many Christians were wise, influential, and noble. That's bound to cause the world to sit up and take notice. But you see, when Paul wants to impress others with the wisdom of God, he parades the ordinary like me and you. And he says, look at what God can do. He saves people such as these. Those who face large debts, health concerns, and family worries. Now there were folk of noble birth. And clever people in the Corinthian church. That's why he says not many. There were some. But that's not the thing that's important here. Though the Corinthians like some of us can do. Thought it was. No. Clever people by being virtue of clever. Can't find God. Rich people, by virtue of being rich, can't find God. Even religious or spiritual people can't find God by virtue of being spiritual. No one can find God. But God can find them. He chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. It's very much a case of God choosing that which is weak like me, like you, to shame the strong, the foolish, like me, and like you, to shame the wise. So finally, the messenger of the cross. Did Paul arrive in Corinth promising power, health, and wealth? Hardly. Paul could have dazzled them with his intellectual brilliance. As an apostle, he had the ability to perform miracles. But what did he do? 
Well, let's just for a moment step into chapter 2 and verse 2. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it was through that message, presented with no frills, that the Spirit's power was demonstrated. Not alongside the message, but through the message. And what was it that demonstrates this power of the Holy Spirit? It was that a group of believers was formed in this pagan, moral cesspit called Corinth. And so believers, then and now, can have real assurance that their faith rests not on man's wisdom, but on God's power, the power of the gospel, the word of the cross. The power of the gospel has formed a group of genuine believers here too at St. Joseph's and can form other groups of genuine believers in church plants across this region today in spite of the culture being very similar to that at Corinth where people behind their masks are struggling and hurting. You see, I'm a Christian not because I've heard great speakers or seen supernatural things. I'm a Christian because the Holy Spirit has taken the gospel of the cross and convinced me that it's true. So going back to where I began this sermon. In the light of the cross, does it matter whether we're seen as important in the church. Is that the model Jesus has set for us? But when you stand in front of the cross, do you see that it's important to love and to serve your fellow Christians and to be there for them? Do you see that it's vital that you share this gospel and not be led astray onto lesser but more impressive things. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray together. And just before you pray yourselves, in response to this passage. Let me read you what someone learnt about prayer from this Bible passage, which I think will help you to pray more effectively, not just now, but also back at home, trusting in Christ. He said this, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health, that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity, that I might do better things. I asked for riches, that I might be happy. And I was given poverty, that I might be wise. I asked for power, that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness, that I might feel the need of God. 
I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. And I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Let's pray on our own as we respond to God's message from his word, the word of the cross, this morning. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. 